Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Now Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do? since my master is taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write 50. Next, he asked another, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write 80. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been uh, faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. morning. That was better than what I said in the nine. It was really awkward. I was like, good morning? Questionable? Um, It's good to see you. If you're a guest with us, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. And thrilled to walk through this passage with you today as we are getting deeper into the parables, these stories of Jesus. Now, I just want to say right up front, this is a weird one. Um, it's going to be odd if you, if you listen to those words. It's kind of interesting what Jesus has to say, and we're going to walk through that and see exactly what he means. As I was thinking about this passage this week, it reminded me of this story I heard, I think, years ago um, in Vail, Colorado. There was this ski shop, and the manager of that ski shop uh, turned out not to be a great manager, as, as can happen. And so the owners uh, let this manager know, hey, we're going to let you go. Um, you know, this just isn't working out. And it just so happened that the final day of this manager's job, the owners uh, happened to be out of town. And so the manager was managing. Here's what happened. He decided to do a 90% off sale for the entire store, right? Yeah, great idea, huh? Um, He wasn't necessarily happy that he was getting fired. And he also wanted to uh, potentially land another job. He he did a 90% off sale. When the owners came back, the entire store was sold out. He sold all of this stuff to locals hoping that maybe he would gather another job. Now, he didn't really think that through that well. Um, He had a a little bit of a challenging character going on, and so he probably didn't get hired locally, but he wanted to. And uh, this is kind of what we see today in this parable that Jesus shares with us. And it's really interesting and seemingly odd, and yet it forces us to look below the surface, as parables should, to see what Jesus is actually meaning. What's he talking about? Now, this parable today, it deals with money, which can make us feel somewhat uncomfortable for two reasons, I think. 
One, passages on money have been at times misused, mistreated, abused in the Western church in order to guilt you into giving more or to build up a leader's mini kingdom for themselves. Or on the other side of the spectrum, some churches avoid conversations on money altogether for fear of rubbing people the wrong way. So what should we do? What's the solution? Here's the solution. Talk about it. (laughs) But in a way that's deeply rooted in scripture and not tied simply to one person's opinion. Why is it important that we don't avoid passages like this? Here's why. Because one-fifth of Jesus' teachings are about money meaning this is something he cares about and there's something deeper that's happening here. And when we go deeper, what we'll actually see is that Jesus, he cares about something far more than money or wealth. And by wealth, it's important that we define this this morning. I mean, anything we have to offer. So although we're going to walk through these verses that you just heard read, in order to get some context, some framework around it, I actually want to read the two following verses, 14 and 15, so you can see what's happening here. So after he tells this account, here's what it says. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were lovers of money. And they were listening to all these things and scoffing him, making fun of him. And Jesus goes up and he told them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. See, Jesus doesn't need your wealth. Some of you are like, oh, thank goodness, right? Good start. Jesus doesn't need your wealth and he doesn't care about your wealth as much as he cares about your heart, your devotion, your allegiance. And it's amazing what the management and the way we think about our wealth says about our heart and what the condition of our heart will say about the way we think about and manage what we have. And today, it's not about listening to a somber sermon about money. That's just not my style. And um, just rolling through this so that we end up all walking oddly to the tithe box after and give a little bit more because we feel like we should, right? That's not what this is about at all. There's something so much deeper here. As we walk through this, I hope that a couple words maybe pop into your mind. Here, Here they are. Freedom, purpose, and joy. Freedom, purpose, and joy. Now, before we dive in, one last thing. While this passage does specifically tap into money, I would challenge you to think more broadly, as I think is completely appropriate, when it comes to wealth. I want you to think about your time. I want you to think about your talent. I want you to think about your treasure. Because no matter what age you are, no matter how much you have, this is for all of us. And ultimately, it's for our good. So let me pray one last time, and we'll dive into this passage Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd speak to us now, wherever we are, whatever age we are. God, uh, I pray that you would remove roadblocks. I pray that you would remove hesitations. I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word, living and active, divinely inspired. Jesus, these words of you. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. You buckled up. We ready? Not really, but we're going to keep going because you're here. And we're already here, so we're going to keep moving forward. Now, here, here, here we go. Now, he said, Jesus, to the disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager and he asked, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of the management because you can no longer be my manager. So this is pretty straightforward. 
The manager is accused of mismanaging his boss's money, and the boss lets him know, hey, once I get all of this figured out, your employment is going to come to an end. And so here's what the manager does. The manager said to himself, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. At least he's honest there, right? He's like, hey, I can't do these things. I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each of his master's debtors, and he said, how much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. And they said, 100 measures of olive oil. And he said, take your invoice. And he told him, sit down quickly and write 50. Next, he asked another, how much money do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said, take your invoice. He told him and write down 80. And so what we see is this manager's exit plan. (laughs) He's like, what do I do now? In order to gain favor with others and potentially land on his feet and find another job, once he's let go of this one, he starts to do favors for people in community who owed a debt to his master in hoping that he would make the best out of a bad situation. He's clever and he's resourceful for his own benefit. And that brings us to the word of the day. I feel like I'm on Sesame Street, but that's what it is. Shrewd. Here it is. It's one we might not use often, but here's what it means. And I think we'll understand this easily. To show sharp powers of judgment, to be astute, sharp-witted, intelligent, clever, perceptive, and savvy in order to maximize impact or outcome. He was shrewd. Here's what it says. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. Here's what's important that we see. The boss is not happy about this. He's ripped off a second time, if you picked up on that. Not only is his money mismanaged originally, now the guy's putting everything on deep discount and he's not going to get paid what he's owed. So he's not happy. He's like, oh, amazing. Thank you so much for doing this and ripping me off. No, no, no. He praises him. Why? He praises him because of his shrewdness, not because of his dishonesty. He praised him that even though he was no longer going to be working for him for being creative and clever with the opportunity that he had. Now look at the second part of this verse. It's interesting. Jesus says, for the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. The word shrewd only comes up one other time in the Bible. In Matthew ten sixteen, and Jesus calls us to be Shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. A piece of me thought about calling the sermon today snakes and doves, but um, that got sidelined quickly for good reason. It would have been interesting, but that's not where we're going. But Jesus is like, hey, be, be wise. Use wisdom, use intentionality, but also be innocent. Don't imitate this man in his dishonest shrewdness, but rather be wise, clever, intentional, resourceful, while at the same time remaining innocent of all evil, acting honestly and with all humility. What is Jesus really getting at here? He draws this contrast between the sons of the world, so those who are not Christians, who don't have the same belief, they don't have a relationship with Jesus, and the sons of light, those who were Christians, those who are part of the church. And here's the point that he's making. He says, unbelievers are wiser and more intelligent in the things of the world than believers are about the things of the world to come. So let me use this for an example. Here's what it would be like. And none of you would do this. And so nobody get offended. Nobody get offended. I'm going to say that up front. You're like, well, I'm going to get offended then. It's as if out there, let's say you're a teacher 
an educated teacher and you're pouring into people and you're so intentional with your kids and, and those who you're educating and you spend so much time and effort or let's say that you're in finance and you know all the tax codes and you know everything and you're very intentional about it and you pour yourself into it to make an impact, to help people, whatever it is that you're doing or, or maybe you're a professional musician and you're really gifted and incredibly skilled and you spend so much time and energy and effort there but then when it comes over into the things of God or when it comes to the church, it's kind of like you just give your scraps. It's kind of secondary. That's what Jesus is essentially saying here, is that for many of us, there can be this temptation that when it comes to the way we think about and invest our wealth, again, whatever that is, toward the mission of Jesus inside and outside of the church, we see it and treat it as secondary when really we should see it and treat it as primary. The greatest investment, the greatest opportunity. We should be shrewd. And here's just a common definition of shrewd Christianity. We should be looking to do everything we can to maximize what we have and what we can give without compromising our character to build up the kingdom of God. Now, we'll get back to this in a minute. But Jesus continues here. And he says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. All right, things are getting really weird here. We just took another step down the rabbit hole. This is by far the most challenging verse to correctly translate in this entire parable because on the surface, it looks like Jesus is telling us to buy friends using whatever wealth we have, right? Is this Jesus's version of how to win friends and influence people? That's what comes to mind for me. If this is what Jesus means, talk about awkward and talk about a contradiction to the very gospel he preaches that calls us to take a lower seat, to be sacrificial, to give it away. But with each and every parable, there's always a deeper spiritual implication. And that's exactly what's happening here. On closer examination and in the context of this entire discord, what Jesus is doing here is he's connecting our present reality with our future eternal reality. And here's the point that Jesus is making. He's saying, hey, use your material resources for kingdom priorities. By doing this, Without a doubt, you'll be welcomed by those who have gone before you when we arrive at our eternal dwelling place. Now, you might say, wait, that sounds works-based. And I get that. That sounds kind of works-based. So you're telling me that, that if I do these things, then I'm going to receive something over here. Well, one, Jesus isn't talking about salvation here. He's talking about a blessing, which is important. But also, this is not in contradiction to that. It actually parallels what Jesus' half-brother says, James, when he writes, what good is it if you claim to have faith but no deeds follow? Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. This idea that because of your faith, because of what you have in Christ, because of this relationship, this will now be a response to that, an outpouring of that. He's getting to something deeper here. These this has so much more meaning to it than what we might see on the, purpose, or on the surface. Essentially, live as if your purpose and priorities have changed because in me, they absolutely should. And he goes further and he says, whoever's faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever's unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own. Jesus goes on to show that spiritual maturity is directly connected to how we think about and handle our wealth, this idea of stewardship. 
being mindful and not wasteful. He essentially hits this point three times to ensure that we don't miss it and take it lightly. And this stems from this great reality. This amazing reality that everything we have comes from God. Ultimately, it's not something you produced on your own. No matter how wise you are, no matter how skilled you are, no matter how gifted you are, that God gave you the very breath in your being to be able to do anything. That everything we have, everything we will have is a gift of God. Not something we simply mustered up on our own. And when we start to live into this, it allows several things to unfold simultaneously. It allows us to loosen up our grip on money and every other material resource we have because we understand it's not truly ours, freedom. It's so easy to believe their resources are going to provide us the freedom we ultimately want, and yet it can bind us in chains. And this allows for freedom. It allows us to have a heart of gratitude towards God's generosity and allows us to literally shift our desire to be more shrewd, more intentional, more resourceful when it comes to the things of God because we are now using what we can of God's wealth that he's allowed us to manage to build up his kingdom instead of our own. And I really love what these verses also say because it emphasizes something that's so important. You don't have to have a lot of material wealth in order to make a large impact in the kingdom. You don't. This reminds me of the widow's might, if you remember that story. People are essentially going to church today, and they start to give towards the uh, offering. And people are putting in different sums, some large sums, some medium sums, all over the place. And this widow comes along, and she drops in two copper coins, the equivalent of $2 today but it's everything she had and she needed it. (laughs) It was going to buy food. It was going to take care of their family. And yet she gives it. And Jesus seeing this is so impacted and notices that he pulls over his disciples and he says this amazing statement. He says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than anyone else today. That's amazing. It sort of reminded me of uh, when we were in our building campaign. Excuse me. We were in our building campaign, and the children gave toward the campaign. Just out of this uh, genuineness of heart. (laughs) Drawing pictures downstairs that you can look at about what the future church will be, and and they gave, and I remember looking at these coins. And I could imagine Jesus standing back and looking at that and saying, they gave far more today than anybody else. Because of this purity of heart, this woman gave sacrificially because she knew that what she was giving to was worth it. And she knew that God would take care of her needs. And so she didn't have to hold on to it tightly. And don't forget, this is coming from Jesus. Sometimes we forget this or we look past it. Jesus essentially lived a homeless life. He didn't have a lot of wealth. He would go from town to town and depend on the kindness of others. He probably slept on floors. Sometimes he didn't have enough to eat. He was hungry. It says that in the Bible. Although he was fully God, he was also fully man. And so he gets it. He knows it. And yet he lived such a faithful, impactful life. Obviously, he's Jesus. But he lived such a faithful and impactful life out of being faithful to the God who sent him to his father. This faithful life. You'll notice this word faithful pops up four times in these three verses, which means we should pay attention to it. It matters. 
in the context of what we're looking at, shrewd and faithful go hand in hand. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller passed away this week. Um, And it was really interesting. I shared this with uh, Laura. I know I talked with Paul about it. And I met Tim like twice at, at random conferences and I did not have a relationship with him. I did not have a friendship with him. Yet at his passing, I actually felt these emotions come out. Uh, being so moved. And why is that? Because of the impacts that he made. This church that you're in right now, One Fellowship, is a direct reflection on, on, on somewhat Tim Keller's life poured out into the gospel and into ministry. Paul would tell you that. The effects of Redeemer City to City Network. The, the church I planted in Seattle was a direct reflection of Redeemer City to City Network that that church is still a part of. Tim Keller wrote essentially the playbook on planting churches inside of cities with shrewdness and intentionality called City Church. He's someone who completely poured himself out. And when I was thinking about this passage, it fits so well because he is the most shrewd pastor, theologian, author, and church planner in my lifetime. Someone so dedicated to seeing the advance of the gospel throughout cities using wisdom, intelligence, and intentionality that he could have used anywhere else to make a lot more money, to cast vision and gather resources, then release them back into the local church. Not in order to gain a name for himself or to build a mini kingdom, but out of faithfulness to Jesus, the one who absolutely transformed his life. As he would say, the God who sees us as we are, loves us as we are, accepts us as we are, but by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. What an example. This call to faithfulness. And as Jesus moves from faithfulness, he sort of has this mic drop moment. It all climaxes in these final words, in this final verse, when he says this. They would leave those listening with a lot to process, which do the same for us. He says, no servant can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one. He'll end up despising the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now here's the deal. This is not to shame us. I get it. I feel the weight of this. I felt it all week. I struggle with this. This is a challenge for me. This is a week in and week out uh, challenge when it comes to this idea and tension between money and faith, money and the gospel. Why does this become so challenging? Why can't it become so challenging? I think in some ways, because the more we have, the more it can tend to control us and the more that we want, the more it can tend to consume us. This is deeply convicting for me. I can look at different seasons of my life where if I was being honest, I'd say, yeah, my master, money. Totally, because I grew up with very little. And so anything that I got, anything that I had, I wanted to hold on to very tightly in hopes that it would provide security and stability. This happens for a lot of us in different ways for a lot of different reasons. Um, for, for some of us, we've been told that money is what it means to be successful. Can I just tell you? Complete lie. Complete lie. Who you are is not what you have. Your identity in Christ is far more valuable as a son or a daughter than anything you could have or bring to the table. Some of us have believed that money will give us the ultimate freedom we desire, but it actually starts to put us in chains because we hold on to it so tightly. Some of us did grow up with very little, and so fear creeps in that if I give, if I'm generous, if I 
If I give sacrificially what I really don't have at times that, that, that I'm not going to be cared for, I'm not going to be taken care of, and our grip grows even tighter, even though God says, hey, I care for the very birds of the air who don't have homes, I'm going to care for you. I've got you. But that can be challenging. And sometimes it's just our own pride, if we're being honest. Like, let's just be honest. Like, sometimes it's our own pride that just steps in. Or a misappropriation of priorities. Yet, and hear this, when I think about Jesus, when I think about the heart of Jesus, the heart of God, these are not the words of a boss wanting to take something from you. It's the words of a friend wanting to give something back to you, wanting to give you back your freedom, wanting to give you greater purpose, wanting to give you greater joy. And you know, as I think about this parable, and I've sat with it this week, this building, this room that you're setting, sitting in, I said setting in, I'm starting to hang out with Cody way too much, <laughs> that you're sitting in, hear this, right now is the best example I can think of when it comes to this passage, understanding what we have in Christ and being able to loosen our grips with intentionality. Why would we as a church put so much time and energy into a building campaign, into the purchase of this entire building, acting shrewdly, logging 500 plus lawyer hours, thank goodness many of those a gift to our church, to ensure we go about things the right way to secure this space if it wasn't about so much more than just a building? This building is not an investment into a property. It's a gospel-centered kingdom investment into our current and future families, into our young professionals, into this young generation soaking up the Bible in those classrooms right now, into the students who are going to meet tonight and learn more and more about Jesus who knows them, loves them, and cares about them as they soak up that good news. It's an investment into the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren that have been yet to be born in the generations to come. It's an investment into these neighborhoods represented throughout our city that we might be a hub of good news in a dark world throughout the greater Charleston area as we would go the church, not a building, the people into our neighborhoods as missionaries to share this good news. Asking you to rally around the purchase of a building simply so we can own it, have more space, have a property, invest in it, and just make it beautiful is a weak ask and a weak vision. But asking the church to rally around the advancement of the gospel, asking the church to rally around the good news of Jesus offering an eternal home and eternal hope to spiritual orphans like you and me, rallying around and investing in the truth that unlike the dishonest manager, Jesus didn't waste a drop of God's wealth because Jesus was God's wealth. And how did he spend it? He emptied the account for you and for me. Jesus' body broken, his blood shed as a ransom for many, it says, so that all of God's wealth is poured out for us and others that we have yet to reach, but we are praying enter into the family that they would be welcomed into this eternal dwelling. This is a mission to join. This is a vision to invest in. This is a purpose to lay down your life for because this is everything. And that's what Jesus is calling us to, to understand what we've been given and to think with intentionality and to loosen the grips and to say, how can I make an investment that matters? I'll just say this. I believe this with all my heart to be true. The greatest investment you could make in this life will not be in a house. 
It will not be in a business. It will not be in a piece of land. It will not be in the stock market. It will not be in a retirement account. Here's the big idea. Live your life and use your wealth, whatever that is, whatever you have, whatever you can use, as if there is no greater investment you will ever have the opportunity to make than in the mission of Jesus and his gospel, because there isn't. Big question. What actually turns our heart to think and act in this new way? And you ready for this? Here's the answer. The gospel. The gospel. This starts and stops at the foot of the cross. Otherwise, it's just about following a set of rules and giving 10% because you've been told you should so you don't have to feel bad about it. And that's not it. No, it starts to turn our heart our affections, our view of wealth, and our subsequent actions surrounding it once we realize, hear this, how unmatched and invaluable the wealth of knowing Jesus and being loved by him truly is. You can have nothing in this life. You can lose everything in this life and you have Jesus, you've got everything. The beauty of this. It's when the good news of new life in Jesus, the wealth of a relationship made possible by grace starts to take hold that our entire worldview of money and wealth shifts and joy sets in. Yes, joy, right? I said we were gonna get to joy, right? Joy, the joy of knowing that you are secure in Christ, loved by Christ, and now have a once in a lifetime opportunity to take part in the mission of Christ. And I can tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. And we all get to play a part. Because Jesus can take the smallest thing and use it for eternal good. There is no limit. He's simply looking for faithful servants who will follow him, who will place their lives under him. And so what do we do with this? Here's what I would just encourage us in today as we come to a close. First, this word rest. Rest. This is not meant to shame us. It's not. And I get it, I get it. We can feel guilt, we can say, oh my gosh, like now I'm thinking about all the times that I've used, have I done this right, all the, no, no, no. It's not meant to shame us, it's, it's meant to, it's meant to reveal to us God's desire and this opportunity, but would we first rest in his grace? Rest in his grace, rest in his love. If you're somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus and, and maybe one of the reasons that you don't is because you've always just thought about the church as wanting what you have and trying to take from you, maybe today's the, real, the day that you realize Jesus wants to give something to you. He wants to give you life. And he's not gonna ask you to write out a check to get it. He says, no, it's my unmerited favor. It's the grace that was already poured out for you on the cross. It's the empty grave that sits empty. I'm that good and I love you that much. For some of us, we just need to rest in the truth of God taking care of us, meeting all our needs. And I know that's tough, it's not easy, it's easier to say than it is to do. But would we rest in that truth? And then I would challenge us to rethink and reevaluate, to take time today, to take time this week, just to look at, okay, how do I invest what I have? How do I invest my time, my talent, my treasure? And I, am I investing in a way that reflects how much I've been given by the grace of Jesus, through the grace of Jesus? To rethink, to reevaluate, to pour ourselves out for the mission of Jesus going forward. The only one who can bring the dead back to life. Would we live our life, use our wealth as if there's no greater investment you'll ever have the opportunity to make than in the mission of Jesus 
and his gospel church because there isn't, and I see that investment being made in my son. I see it being made in, in you. Gosh, this is an emotional week. Um, so much, but surprisingly such a good text for us just to see what matters and what we can play a part in. Man, you're a beautiful church, the bride that God gave himself for. So let us be the church to this city, to those around us, for the sake of this wonderful calling and this mission. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.